Over the past month, we have journeyed through the season we call Advent. Advent is a time of waiting, a time of longing for the arrival of God in Christ. Well, last Monday, Christ arrived, right? And so today he would be six days old. With Jesus having arrived, then our wait is kind of over. But what else comes with Christ's arrival? This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40, the passage in which Jesus is formally presented at the temple in Jerusalem. And in this passage, Luke takes pains to show us that the Jesus story is a continuation of the story of Israel in the Old Testament. What I mean is, the same God who acted in Israel's history is acting now in the life of Jesus. There are two figures who feature in this story, Simeon and Anna, who are present only in Luke's gospel. And what they say about Jesus here takes us back to the prophet Isaiah, who describes what God's arrival fully entails. So we're going to read the text in full in just a moment, and then we'll study it with an eye toward the Old Testament. But before we do any of that, friends, let us take a moment to pray. Jesus, be here with us this morning, please. Transform us through your presence. Help us to find you in these words. We thank you so much for this season of Advent and for its culmination in the celebration that is Christmas. And as we celebrate New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, I pray that we would take that Advent hope and energy and inject it into the rest of this coming year. Please be with us. Be glorified through our worship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn with me to Luke 2, verses 22 through 40, if you haven't already. Luke 2, 22 through 40. We haven't been in Luke uh, this will sort of be a standalone uh, message, so I need to set the passage in its proper context. At the beginning of Luke 2, Jesus is born. It's chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and we heard this passage read at our Christmas Eve service last week. Um, after this, verses 8 through 20, we get this famous passage featuring the shepherds who are in the field, and they're met by an angel multitudes of angels, and they're told to go to Bethlehem where they would find the baby Jesus and they worship him. After this, in verse 21, it says that Jesus was circumcised at eight days old, and he was called Jesus, the name that was given him by the angel before he was conceived. After this, in verses 22 through 40, we get our passage, the formal presentation of Jesus, the eight-day-old Jesus, at the temple in Jerusalem. And then after this, Luke 2 concludes with this interesting story that's 12 years in the future, uh, in which the boy Jesus stays back in Jerusalem, teaching at the temple, and that is the end of Luke 2. So our passage is right before that, in verses 22 through 40, Jesus presented at the temple. And we will be reading it in the ESV, 
And as you are able, friends, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. You may be seated. Well, what I'd like to do this morning is walk through this passage section by section paying close attention to all the Old Testament parallels that we find here. I have a set of readings right next to me, some of which you heard read right before the sermon, uh, which I'll be referencing throughout our time. My hope is that it's not confusing, but rather enriching, um, that by seeing the, the Old Testament texture in this passage in Luke, we're able to appreciate it and understand what it means for us in our context today. So let me begin then with the first section here, verses 22 through 24. And this is the time of purification, or you could say the presentation of Jesus at the temple. So first it says in verse 22, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. Now, right before this in verse 21, we see that it's been eight days And on the eighth day, it was typical in Jewish culture to circumcise a male child and to officially name him. But in Leviticus chapter 12, we read about this period of uncleanliness that follows the birth of a child. And let me just read a few verses from that context. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, Leviticus 12, this is the law of Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And other texts say that on that day, the child would be named. So it seems that the Holy Family is aware of this regulation in the law of Moses and is intent upon observing it. After the birth of a child, the mother would be rendered unclean for a certain amount of time, and then after those days, seven days, you could perform certain sacrifices at the temple to be purified, to be cleansed. And I'll note what those sacrifices are in just a few moments. Moving on to verse 23, or actually the end of verse 22, it says that they brought the child to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now this makes me think of that passage in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Hannah, this barren woman for years, was longing for a child and she finally gave birth to a son. And then it says that she presented the boy Samuel to the Lord at Shiloh. And let me just read a few verses from that context. It says, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with various objects, a bull, some flour, a skin of wine. And she brought the child to Eli, the priest, at Shiloh. And we read from Hannah herself, it says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. So to speak of Jesus as presented to the Lord in Jerusalem conjures this passage from 1 Samuel, and at least for me, puts him on paradigm with that great prophet in the Old Testament, who we read about a couple years ago in our 1 Samuel series. We also see this parenthetical remark in Luke 2. In verse 23, it says, "...as it is written in the law of the Lord," again, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now, this is a quotation of Exodus 13, the first few verses. And this comes right after the passage in Exodus, the last plague, the plague of the firstborn, where all of the firstborn sons in the Egyptian households were killed. And it was that plague that was the final straw that led to the Exodus the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And so the Lord says to the Israelites, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. All the firstborn of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. Jesus is clearly the firstborn to the Holy Family, and so according to Exodus, he is to be consecrated, to be set apart as holy. Friends, we see already in these opening verses that the Holy Family is doing everything to align the life of Jesus with what is written in the Law of Moses. They are not trying to buck the system to create a new religion the life of Jesus is in direct continuity with the life of Israel 
in the Old Testament. Well, finally, we have in verse 24 the offering that they made to end this period of uncleanliness. And it says they offered a sacrifice to what is said, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, I said I would return to the passage in Leviticus that specifies what you are to offer. And it says, when the days of her purifying are complete, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, this is before there was a temple, she must bring a lamb, a year old, and a pigeon or a turtle dove. So a lamb for a burnt offering and a bird for a sin offering. But it says in verse 8 in Leviticus 12, if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. So a bird for the burnt offering and a bird for the sin offering. The priest shall then make atonement for her and her period of uncleanliness shall end. We see here in Luke 2 that the Holy Family abides by these regulations. But it says that they offered a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That means that the Holy Family could not afford a lamb. But it also means, along with all these other citations, that they are doing everything in their power to abide by the law of Moses. And I think it's so important for us to realize that Luke is taking pains to connect the story of Jesus to the story of Israel in the Old Testament. Okay. Now let us move on then to the first figure in our passage, that of Simeon. And the the quotations won't be as dense as they were in that passage, I promise. Verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, I racked my brain trying to think of a particular Old Testament figure who parallels Simeon. And I couldn't think of anyone. Because I think Simeon stands as a representative of a kind of paradigmatic, faithful Israelite. He parallels uh, Zechariah in chapter 1, and then Elizabeth, we'll see, parallels Anna. This figure who represents what a faithful Israelite looked like in first century Roman Palestine. The word that I want to focus on, though, is consolation. It's a striking word. And in Greek, it's the word paraklesis. It's related to the word paraclete, a word we use to describe the Holy Spirit, the encourager, the comforter. And the verb here is parakalo, to comfort or to encourage. We just heard read in Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people. And in Greek, Isaiah, which is definitely what Luke had at hand, it's parakalo, parakalo. It's that same root word. So for Simeon to wait for, to be said to be waiting for, the consolation of Israel is to connect Simeon to this passage in Isaiah. And Isaiah 40 begins this stretch of texts which runs through Isaiah 55, all of which were written during a period of exile in Babylon. 
So to give you some background, the southern kingdom of Israel lasted a little longer than the northern kingdom, uh, but still in 586 BC, they were invaded by the neighboring empire Babylon, Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple burned down, and the people were shipped off to exile. They were in exile for about 70 years, and then the Persians arose and defeated Babylon, and they returned to the land. But we get all this literature written during that 70-year period, longing for release from exile. Isaiah 40 is just one of those texts. And it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity pardoned. It says, Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. Talking about the smoothening of the path so they could return to the land. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh, not just Israelite flesh, all flesh, shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The consolation of Israel is referring to that. (laughs) And of course, the people had already returned physically from Babylonian exile, but this shows that Simeon interpreted his present situation and that of Israel in the land but under Roman occupation as a kind of exile that needed to end. Going on, it says in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would see the Messiah before he died. And so it just so happens that he enters the temple, verse 27, at the exact time that the parents of Jesus brought the child in. And in verse 28, we get this striking detail for all parents of young children. He took him up, the eight-day-old Jesus, in his arms and blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Remember, salvation from Isaiah 40. All flesh shall see it. The salvation you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. All peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now we are citing another text which you heard read before the sermon, and that is Isaiah 42. But friends, in the minds of these Israelite readers, who are really more like memorizers, memorizing swaths of text and holding it in their minds, it's all part of the same context. In Isaiah 42, it says, The Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it, He says, I am the Lord. I have called you, Israel, in righteousness. And in their situation of exile, he says, I will take you by the hand and keep you, preserve you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, not the people Israel, a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, it says. God will arrive and end this period of exile, leading the people back to the land and restoring to them their divine vocation, which is to draw all the nations to Yahweh. 
The people of Israel are to be the means by which non-Israelites enter covenant relation with God. I will give you as a covenant for the people, for the outsiders. Simeon, this representative Israelite, is citing texts that talk about an end to exile, but the inclusion of Gentiles in God's covenant family. And so, of course, the father and mother of Jesus, verse 33, marvel at what is said about him. And Simeon blessed them and says some more words to Mary, some cryptic words. But we see, friends, that Simeon interprets his present context and that of all Israel as one of exile. And the arrival of Jesus, this eight-day-old baby, signifies an end to their exile. And also the inclusion of non-Israelites into the promise of God. Very significant. Well, the next figure is not Anna, but Hannah. It's pronounced Hannah. And of course, that makes you think of Hannah in 1 Samuel, and I think we are to think of her. But I really think that Anna, like Simeon, is the female counterpart, this representative, faithful woman in Israel. And so together, they represent what true Israelites were hoping for at the time. I do think, though, that we're not mistaken to have Hannah and Elkanah and Samuel in the back of our minds. And so she was a prophetess, it says, advanced in years. And Luke is not trying to be insulting here. Um, I think he is emphasizing her devotion. For decades, this woman has been fervently devoted to the Lord. It says she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And again, we get serendipity in verse 38. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. With Simeon, we get consolation, this hyperlink that sends us to Isaiah 40 and 42. With Anna, we get redemption, another hyperlink, which sends us to Isaiah 52. That is another passage written in this context of exile, longing for that period to end. And it says in this famous verse, verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That would have been this military messenger announcing that the king of Persia has arisen and has vanquished Babylon, meaning that this period of captivity would soon end. It says, the voice of your watchmen. This would be the people stationed on the walls of Jerusalem looking out for news of updates. They lift up their voice. They sing for joy. For they see the return of the Lord to Zion. The Lord personified as this military general, victorious coming back to reclaim the city. It says, Break forth together into singing, you waste places, deserted lots, 
in Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted, consoled his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Consolation and redemption are set right next to each other. And these are key words that stood for these undying hopes that resided in the hearts of people like Simeon and Anna. Going on, the last verse in that Isaiah passage, the Lord has bared His holy arm, His strong arm, before the eyes of all the nations, and again, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. All of these passages spell release from exile for Israel, but also the display of God's power and glory to non-Israel. And not only the display, but the drawing in of those people into this restored city, into this covenant family. All of these texts are cited when Jesus is eight days old. Well, finally, we get this last section here, verses 39 through 40. And I'm sure you think no way could there be Old Testament citations here, but absolutely there are. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. In verse 40, it says, The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Judges chapter 13, uh, the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Samson was not perfect, but he was certainly a savior figure in the book of Judges, delivering the people from their enemies, such as the Philistines, and rescuing them from oppression, captivity. And of course, 1 Samuel chapter 3, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Samuel was not only a judge like Samson, but he was also a prophet, combining those roles, speaking the word of God, leading politically through his fear of God. To speak of Jesus this way, growing, becoming strong, being full of wisdom, favored by God, is to set him on paradigm with figures like Samson and Samuel. All of these references would be swirling around in the minds of the gospel's first readers. I think Luke has taken pains like no other gospel in the early chapters to connect the story of Jesus at every point with the story of the Old Testament. Jesus is not really doing something all that new. If it's new, it's still completely in line with everything God has done before. So to return to our opening theme, I guess, God has arrived in the person of Jesus. We claim that. But what else comes with that arrival? Now, I know it's weird to speak like that. Jesus, of course, is sufficient. He's enough. But with the arrival of Jesus brings many, many other realities. 
The way that Luke interweaves all these passages from the Old Testament into the story of Jesus suggests that these hoped-for realities in the Old Testament are being fulfilled in the person of Christ. Now, what, what realities in particular were being hoped for? Especially looking at Isaiah 40 through 55. I said it before, but we've got end of exile, return to the land, peace in Israel, and communion with Yahweh. Isaiah envisions God vanquishing all the powers that hold Israel in bondage, and then guiding them through the wilderness and back back to the promised land. He envisions the reestablishment of a peaceful, healthy nation that fears the Lord. In other words, he envisions wholesale renewal. Spiritual, physical, social, and political renewal. The birth of Jesus begins to fulfill such hopes already. Which means, friends, that God, God has, has already begun to do all this work. And by trusting in Christ, by being united to Him through faith, one can enter into this new reality, which will one day be all that there is. The arrival of Jesus brings renewal, and that is something our world so desperately needs. This is a renewal that doesn't come by our own political, technological, economic solutions. But it comes by following Jesus and joining His movement. A movement which has already begun. So as we celebrate New Year's Eve today and New Year's Day tomorrow... Friends, let us join with God as He does a new thing. Something never before seen in all of human history, yet completely in line with what He's done before. Let's pray. Lord, You are a living God. You are the wellspring of life, of movement, of growth, You are working. It's simply a matter of, do we see it? Do we notice it? Give us eyes to see the work you've been doing all along. And in your mercy and grace, welcome us into that work. I pray that this coming year would be full of realizations, full of progress, not perfection, but that we develop, maybe through suffering, through failure, but that we develop and become more like you, Jesus. Help us to stay close to you so we can sense you, so we can hear you, so that we can continue to walk behind you in the footprints you've left. We love you, Jesus. We are so grateful for your birth. But with your birth came so much more. 
and you've started a new movement, a new kingdom, welcome us into it this morning, please. In Christ's name, amen.